Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, the biochemist Leslie Orgel became famous for his research on the origin of life. But he also coined Orgel's second rule, which states that evolution is cleverer than you are. So when it comes to answering some of biology's biggest questions, like how can we live longer? Why don't we just ask evolution for the answers? That's the basic premise of our next guest book. Stephen Ostad is Distinguished Professor of Biology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and author of Methuselah Zoo, What Nature Can Teach Us About Living Longer, Healthier Lives. Welcome back uh, to the program, Stephen. Uh, it's lovely to have you. Tell me a little bit about this book and what you were hoping to achieve with it. Yeah, so th- this book came out of uh, a background. I have a broad background in, in evolutionary biology and zoology, and I I came into the biomedical research field sort of as secondarily. And as a consequence, I've, I've, I think about it in a different way. And one of the things that I noticed is that the people who are studying aging are studying animals that are spectacular failures at aging successfully. And the idea seems to be that by making them uh, age a little bit less unsuccessfully, we could learn something that might allow humans to age more successfully. My thought is that that's all backwards. That's a wonderful quote by Leslie Orgel, and that's exactly the point. I think that we need to be studying animals that age more successfully than humans, and there are many, many such animals out there in nature's bestiary. Do we need to look at animals that are very close to human anatomy? I mean, is there any point in looking at, um, you know, salamanders, reptiles, worms, for example, or should we be looking more closely like, at things like whales uh, that, that live very long or bats that also live very long for their size? Yes, I think it, the whales and the bats are, are the places that we, that, that we need to look. The whales, because they're long-lived and they're huge, and their size matters. The size matters because they have many, many, many more times cells in their body than we do. And if you consider that each cell in your body has the potential to become cancerous and they have many times as many cells so they should get cancer earlier than we do unless they have some special mechanisms of cancer resistance which they seem to do and same with elephants we we understand something about those uh, that cancer resistance in elephants but so far we really don't in whales and bats uh if you uh look at their body size. If you correct for body size, live about twice as long as humans. And they have all these traits that they're better at than humans. For instance, they preserve their high frequency hearing for as long as 40 years. We don't even do it for 20 years. They're inactive for nine months at a time when they're hibernating. They wake up and they fly away. If we're confined to bed for a few weeks, we can hardly walk when we get out of bed. So these things that have specific features of their biology that are superior to the human features uh, with respect to health and longevity are the ones that I think we should be focusing on. What is the longest lived animal? Uh, the longest lived animal is a clam. It's a clam that lives a little bit more than 500 years uh, at the most. And um, and wow. we have a very precise way of, of determining clams' age, which they have growth rings like trees do. So uh, all you need to do, it, well, it's not simple, but if you cut the shell in half and you polish it and etch it, uh, you can actually count the rings. And so we have a clam that lived from uh, 1499 to 2006. 
and we know that with great precision. What about the um, the so-called immortal jellyfish, Turritopsis dornii? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, a case because it's gotten a lot of press recently. And so far as I can tell, uh, the, the only thing that's immortal about it is its name. And <laughs> l- let me explain what I mean about that. It, it has this really interesting biological feature, which if it's stressed or injured, it can revert to a juvenile state and then return to an adult state over time. That's how it got its name. What nobody's done and nobody's reported is can it do that many times or can it only do it once or twice? To truly be immortal, it would have to be able to do that an indefinite number of times. And so far, no one has determined whether that's, it can do that or not. One of the first interviews I ever did on this program was with a, um, an intellectual by the name of Aubrey de Grey. He was very interested in this idea of immortality and extending life healthily. And one of the things that he claimed was that the first person to live to 150 has already been born. I, I know you have a similar um, history of this claim. Can you tell us a little bit about that um, and, and where you stand on it now? Because this was a number of years ago. You, you, were, you were pretty confident that the first person to live to 150 had already been born. Where do you feel about that now or how do you feel about that now? Yeah, it's an, an interesting question, and, and, and I, I'm flattered that Aubrey has, has, has taken up that mantle and run with it. I'm still actually quite confident, and, and I'll tell you why. So when we made the bet, when I made the bet with demographer Jail Shansky, $1 billion bet, we're calling it, in 2001, the oldest person to ever have lived had lived to be 122 and a half. Um, that's still the case. No one has approached or exceeded that in the 20 years since then, which might lead you to believe that I've changed my mind and I'm now less certain of it. But that's not, in fact, the case because we've learned a couple of things in the intervening uh, 20 years. One of the things that we've learned is that some of the drugs that have been successful at extending life in mice seem to work as well if if they start to be taken relatively late in life as if they're taken early in life. And that suggests to me that it may be that we will develop drugs or other approaches that someone can start taking when they're, let's say, 60 or 70, and it will still allow them to live to 150 years old. Now, let me, let me be clear about my bet, which is different. I'm not suggesting that everyone is going to live that long. For me to win the bet, which is the important thing, because It is likely to be close to a billion dollars by then. Only one person has to live that long, but they have to be mentally intact. They have to be able to carry on a sensible uh, conversation at that point. So it's going to be a woman, likely a Japanese woman, because they're the longest life uh, uh, people right now. And uh, like I say, it only has to be one. So, So you've been putting $150 every year into an account based on this bet since... No, no, we no. We put in one hundred and fifty dollars a piece initially, okay. and then about uh, eight years ago, we at, at the urging of a journalist who wanted to know if we still believed what we originally said, we put in another one hundred and fifty thousand. So the way it turns into a billion dollars is basically the miracle of compound interest. We calculated at the historical rate of increase in the stock market um, what it would be in one hundred and fifty years, and I have to say my colleague that with whom I have the wager has been investing the money and it's doing better, at least until the last few days, it was doing better than the historical rate of the stock market. 
So essentially what you're talking about here is treating old age rather than an inevitability, sort of as a collection of diseases that can be cured. Is there any reason why we shouldn't be able to live forever? Are there any definites in our biological processes that we can't outrun? Yes, there are. We are not going to live forever. You know, the 150 years that I'm predicting is 20, about 20% longer than the oldest person has lived now. The reason I'm saying that is that the fundamental biology of life is inherently destructive. There are processes that go on and that allow us to live, but they also damage us at the same time. And while I think we'll get better and better and better at slowing that damage, there's no reason to think that we can eliminate it. There's no animal species that we've been able to take from uh, living a certain amount of time and making it live indefinitely long. And unless we can do something in simple animals first, I see no reason to imagine we'd be able to do it in a complex animal like ourselves. Tell me about Ming the clam. So I first heard of Ming in probably about 2007 when some uh, researchers from Wales uh, phoned me and said, we, have, we study clams and they live a very long time. Would you like to collaborate? And I said, how long <laughs> are you talking about? And they said, centuries. And I think at this point, I remember I held the phone away from my ear and I said, I'm sorry, we probably have a bad connection. I thought you said <laughs> centuries. And they said, we did, four or 500 years. <laughs> and I said, yes, I'd be interested in collaborating. And the next thing you knew, we got some money together and we started a study of these clams and we've now been working on them ever since. What can we learn from clams that might be useful in, in extending the life of humans? Well, that's an excellent question because that was a question that I, that I asked myself at the time. I thought, what do clams do? <laughs> I mean, clams live at the bottom of the ocean in the sediment. They have a very low metabolism. What can we do? And I focused on the muscle that opens and closes the shell. Because I, I, I said, for something to live for 500 years, and we subsequently uh, aged Ming to 507 years, it's gotta be able to open and close its shell vigorously. So we really focus on what is there special about this muscle that allows it to do that. And what we discovered is that the muscle has a very uh, amazing capability of preventing the proteins inside the muscle from misfolding. and that. That sounds like a pretty technical answer, but let me explain why that's important. Proteins run all the chemical reactions in our bodies, um, but to do that, they have to be folded in a very precise fashion, like origami on steroids. And what happens over time is that that folding, the proteins get damaged, and as they get damaged, they lose that precise folding and they lose their function. And in fact, when they, that starts to happen, they get sticky and they clump together. And in fact, it's those clumps that cause things like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease and some types of muscular dystrophy. And what we discovered is that they have something in their tissue that prevents this from happening or dramatically slows it. And we know that because we've, we've taken basically, uh, we've squeezed the juice out of their tissues and we've tried to misfold various proteins in it and they're really resistant. And we've tried doing the same thing with human muscle. And it's, they do it much better than human muscle, even with human proteins, like, like the ones that are responsible for Alzheimer's disease. So we think 
and this is a delicious bit of irony that in an animal that doesn't even have a brain, there may be some secrets to, to the prevention or possibly the treatment of things like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. Wow. What about uh, the Greenland shark? This is a, 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 a very long living shark, average lifespan of nearly 300 years. What, what is so special about sharks and whales that allows them to live so long? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. So there's two groups that are exceptionally long live, but they go about it in a very different fashion. The Greenland shark does it by leading a very, very slow life. So this is the second largest shark in the world. It lives in the coldest water of any shark, and it has the slowest growth rate. Now, how do we know how long it lives? These are these are rough estimates, I have to say. What they've uh, the way it's been done is by taking the core of the eye lens, which is a series of proteins that you basically get before you're born and that stay there for the rest of your life, and carbon fourteen dating those things, and that's how we understand how long they live. But it is an estimate. But they do it by living a very slow life. They don't become reproductively mature for 150 years. That's almost biblical. I think Methuselah in the in, in the Bible was supposed to have had his first child at 187. So this <laughs> is almost like that. But the slow life is shown in the fact that they swim at a rate. Their top speed seems to be slower than an 80-year-old walks. Wow. So they are, it's like they're living in jello or something. Everything is very, very, and you wonder how do they ever catch any prey to eat? And, and they do. We've found everything from, from uh, seals to caribou in their stomachs. So we think that they're probably taking advantage of their very slow swimming uh, to use it to stealthily creep up on sleeping seals or maybe caribou that happen to tumble into the ocean by hmm. accident. The difference with whales is the whales are mammals. And mm. so whales have a high metabolism and a high body temperature. In fact, the longest lived whale, which lives over 200 years, also lives in the coldest water. But the difference is in the cold, a cold-blooded animal like a shark slows everything down. In whales, living in the cold speeds everything up because the whales have to maintain their good mammalian body temperature. So they do this in spite of the fact that they have a high metabolic rate for their body size. And so that means they have some other kinds of special resistance to aging. You think that we should be studying these interesting and long living animals in a sort of emergency way, a sort of Manhattan project, so to speak. How do we do that? And why do you think that's important? Why do we need to live longer? Well, I think the, the, the key thing is not that we need to live longer, but we need to stay healthy longer. Aging is the number one threat uh, to human health today. It's uh, hundreds of times more of a threat than things like Alzheimer's disease or cancer or heart disease. The reason being that it underlies all of those diseases. So uh, we're looking now at humans living longer than they ever have in the 300,000 year history of our species. And that's going to continue. We're going to get more and more and more older people whether we do anything about slowing aging or not. What we really want is for those people to be healthy. Hmm. And the goal of this research is to extend the healthy years. If we do that, a side effect might be that we extend the number of years as well, but that's not really the goal. 
Well, the book is called Methuselah's Zoo, What Nature Can Teach Us About Living Longer, Healthier Lives. And it has fascinating uh, stories of all these sort of animals that seem to be able to defy aging. Been fascinating speaking with you. Stephen Ostad, thanks for your time. Thank you. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.